Would you look in Ephesians, please, the fourth chapter? For some weeks we've been on a series that we're calling No Place for the Devil. No Place for the Devil. Now, we've already covered a lot of ground. And so if you haven't been with us, let me encourage you, get online and listen to, watch the previous messages. They won't cost you anything. And like we say around here, no charge means no excuse for not knowing it, not getting it. In Ephesians 4, verse 22, he said uh, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God's created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. The understood subject there is you. And the previous two verses he gave two specific ways that people do give place to the devil. One was through lying and the other was through anger and, and rage. But uh, this lets us know that there is a devil. It also lets us know that he cannot just come in and do things because he wants to. We have the authority and the ability to prevent him from working in our life. Is this good news? This is wonderful news. Skip on over to the sixth chapter in this same book of Ephesians 6 and 10. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Keep going. Next couple of verses here. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So resist the devil. James 4 says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what exactly do you resist? I think some people are almost waiting for some creature in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork before they're going to resist. Well, that's why they haven't resisted anything. And you keep waiting on that, you're not going to resist anything because the the scripture tells us that Satan transforms himself into a messenger or an angel of light. He never comes as the devil. He, He tries to come and trick you that he is bringing a message from God. And this is something I think most of the church just, it, it's here in the word, but doesn't seem to be aware of. What are we to be on our guard watching for? The wiles. Everybody say wiles. What, what's, what are, that's a King James word, wiles. 
Well, I don't know. When I was a little boy, I used to watch Wiley Coyote and the Road Runner. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Wiley Coyote. That was one of my favorite cartoons of all. And then when I got through watching it, I'd go outside and try to build something, you know, like they got from Acme, you know. But Wiley Coyote, why'd they call him Wiley Coyote? Well, he was tricky, but he wasn't tricky enough for the roadrunner. Wiles, wiles means deception, trickery. Subtlety is a word we see connected to the enemy. What does subtle mean? It means he's not coming to you obviously, ever. He's coming to you. He never comes to the front door. He's coming to the back door. He's trying to come through the window. He he never announces, I'm the devil, I've come to trick you. One of the biggest trickeries he has pulled off on the planet is convincing most of the world he doesn't even exist. And you're never going to resist what doesn't exist. Now that's trickery. And that's what's going on. Oh, but the Bible says concerning believers, we're not ignorant of his devices. Which shows the same thing about this trickery. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, against, 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 against. And in 1 Peter 5, we let's touch on this again. We've seen it repeatedly. But here we have... Paul in Ephesians, we have James in James, we have Peter here. We've got multiple witnesses telling us the same thing, resist the devil. Stand against and resist. 1 Peter 5 and uh, 8, we'll start with that, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. So he, he's looking for somebody. The literal Greek could be translated swallow up. He's looking for somebody to swallow up. He's looking for somebody to steal, kill, and destroy in their life. Well, that lets you know he cannot just do it to everybody or to anybody because he's having to try to find who he can do it against in their life to destroy them whom he may devour and what's that's not even the end of the sentence verse 9 whom resist we keep seeing that word don't we resist steadfast in the faith not only resist but keep on resisting And keep on resisting and never give in. Said out loud, never give in in to the devil. devil. Well, can you recognize, though, when the enemy is uh, coming against you? How do you detect it? Well, uh, 2 Corinthians talks about this, that though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. 
the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Everybody say imaginations. And every high thing, he said, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is what should, we should be on the watch about, our thoughts and imaginations. And the enemy is working the same today as he did against Eve, as he did against Adam, as he did against Cain, and on through the examples we have in the Word. Look with me in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter there, please. We, uh, we touched on this, but I want you to see another, another aspect. Are you believing with me for utterance? 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter and the 3rd verse. He said, I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. So where's the battlefield? The mind. Somebody said, well, I thought it's spiritual. It is. But the spirit is the doorway. I mean, the mind is the doorway to the spirit. That's how the enemy would affect your spirit is through your mind or your life. And your mind is part of your heart or part of your inner man or inner being. And the proverb says, guard your heart above all that you guard because out of it, are the issues or the, the wellsprings of life. Does it matter what we think on? And how does the enemy come? Well, how did he do it with Eve? He beguiled her. He tricked her. He deceived her. How did he do that? Uh, remember the scripture said there in Ephesians and also in 1 Peter, be on your guard. Be alert. Be on the watch. Well, she wasn't enough. And then Adam followed suit, and the Bible said he wasn't deceived, so that makes it practically worse. But look with me in Genesis, the third chapter. Let's remind ourselves of how the enemy did this. Because he's trying to do the same thing with you and with me. In Genesis 3, we know that uh, God had told them they could eat of any and all of the fruit, fruits of the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told them, if you eat of that tree, in the day you do, you will die. And in chapter 3 and verse 1, the serpent was more what? Subtle. What is subtle? Not obvious. <laughs> right? Subtle is under the radar. Subtle is tricky. Subtle is deceptive. We must not underestimate the trickery, the, the subtle deception of the enemy. If we do, we're already half defeated. 
If, if, if the Lord warns you about something, if the Spirit of God warns you and says, be alert, be on your watch, be on your guard about the wiles or trickery of the devil, should we be nonchalant and go, well, you know, it's no biggie? It is a biggie. There are some biggies. This is one of you. You shouldn't be afraid, but you shouldn't act like nothing's going on. The enemy is has been uh, trying to deceive you and trick you and, and has tricked you and deceived you. And that costs you. When, when that happens, it opens up access for the enemy. It gives him place to still kill and destroy. We want to stop that. We want to close the door. We want to give him no place. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? How did this start? A thought coming to her mind, a question. Now we'll see that one of the big ways the enemy attacks you is by tempting you. He's called the tempter. Now when we hear temptation, so many times people's mind just goes off on one or two tracks, but one of the biggest areas he will tempt you in is to doubt. He will tempt you to doubt and fear and distrust. And that's what he did with her. The first thing he starts trying to work on is to get her to question what God said. Has God said? Just question it. See, he didn't start off with, we're going to disobey God. <laughs> right? Uh-uh. He's just asking a question. Can't we ask a question? No. There are questions that shouldn't be asked. Right? You're going to ask a question. Did God lie? Was God wrong? God didn't mean what he said? You shouldn't ask questions like that. But here she entertains it. Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Is she confused about this? She's not. I've heard some people say, well, he didn't say don't touch it. You don't know that he didn't say don't touch it. They talk every day. If you're not supposed to eat it, not touching it's a good idea. (laughs) If you never touch it, you're not going to get the fruit off of it to eat it. But she... She's not confused. The reason I say that, we just got through reading in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that he beguiled her through his subtlety and and the Lord doesn't want the same thing to happen to us that our minds should be corrupted and removed from the simplicity that's in Christ. Can you see? She should have kept this simple. God said it. That's what it means. We're not going to do it. Conversation over. Right? You stay open 
to suggestion and you play right into the enemy's hands. Because he is an evil genius. He's been around for millennia and all his cohorts. People talk about, you know, dumb devil. Well, yeah, anybody that opposes God is dumb. I'll agree with that. But, no, when it comes to battling wits with human beings, these are beings that have been around for millennia and millennia and millennia. And you talk about practicing at deceiving people. They are evil genius at it. And the only way to be safe and protected is you don't play with them. You don't play their game. You don't listen to their lies. You give them no place to even talk to you. Wouldn't it have been better if she'd have said, Who are you? Get out of here. You questioning God? Get out of here. That'd been the end of it. I guess we'd all be in the garden. And uh, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. First a question and then a flat out lie. An alternate truth. The devil gave her his truth. Have you heard that phrase? My truth, your truth. I got I to, gotta, you know, stay with, with my truth. That, that's a bunch of junk. Truth is truth, whether you know it or believe it or not. And just because you believe something doesn't make it true. <laughs> no, truth is not relative. The scripture said God's word is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. The spirit of God's called the spirit of truth. These are not variables. They don't change from person to person or from generation to generation. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. And uh, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened. You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. What's going on here? Temptation. Can you see it? Temptation through reasonings. And then it goes on to say, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it to her husband with her. He's standing right there and he ate it too. And that is how paradise was lost. That's how the curse came into the earth which includes thorns and heat and cold and storms and disease and deformities and cruelty and murder and all of the evil that's in this planet came in on the heels of this. But I want you to see two big things the enemy tempted her to do because the Bible said she was beguiled, she was deceived. And when God came walking in the cool of the day to talk to him, commune with him like he did again and again, when uh, he talked to Adam and said, you know, who told you you were naked? And he said, the woman you gave me, she gave me to eat. And he said to the woman, did you do this? And I want you to notice what she said in verse 13, Genesis 3, 13. 
the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, what? The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The serpent did what? Are, are these the wiles of the devil? The trickery of the devil. Now, the Young's literal translation says it like this, that the woman said, the serpent has caused me to forget. The serpent has caused me to forget, and I do eat. Forget what? Forget what God said. Is that right? Can you see this? There are two two big areas, there's a lot more to it than this, but two significant areas that the enemy will work on, like he worked on her, will try to work on you, me, anybody. He will tempt you to doubt, to question it, to be fearful and disbelieve and doubt. That's why he, uh, he said, what, did God say, you won't really die? What's he, what's he tempting her to do? To question whether God, what God told her was absolutely, completely true. Or to question the, uh, God's motive, what, what he told him and why he told him. To question the simplicity of don't eat of the fruit, you'll die. She listened to him. And let it become complex and complicated and more involved when it wasn't more involved. It's real simple. Don't eat of the fruit. If you do, you die. So this temptation to doubt. Now, why, why am I saying this? Do not hear this and go, yeah, yeah, she shouldn't. Do it. Why are we talking about this? If you if you don't make an effort, you will not do better than she did. Because Eve's brilliant. These are not caveman and cavewoman grunting at each other. Ugh, ugh. These are made in the image of God. They commune with God on a regular basis. How many understand? You can't be a dummy and commune with God. He talks to them. They understand. They talk to him and have intelligent conversation. But the enemy, because she allowed it, she listened to him, was able to talk her out of her faith. She let go of her complete trust in what God said. And considered and started believing a lie that she wouldn't really die. And then the enemy on the heels of this is tempting her to disobey. Separate her from her faithfulness or her commitment to God. Can you see this? Tempted to doubt and tempted to disobey. Can you see this? Well, he hasn't had to come up with anything new because this has worked all too well. 
on every generation of human beings, all the way from then, all the way up to now, on everybody except Jesus, the Master. He tried the same thing with him. Tried the same thing. But it didn't work. I said it didn't work. Jesus didn't give him an inch. He wouldn't consider his lies. He wouldn't turn loose of his absolute faith in the Father and trust in the Father. He kept quoting what the Father said, didn't he? Quoted it, quoted it, quoted it. And he wouldn't disobey. He wouldn't act on the enemy's temptations. He wouldn't do it. Now, with that in mind, go with me please to the book of Luke. Luke, the eighth chapter. The word tempt, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. A lot of people, when they hear the word tempt, they define it as test. And I'm not saying that idea is not there, because it is, depending on the context, but the larger main meaning of the word, it seems like people just kind of rush over. It means try. You'll say, well, it's the same thing. No, it's not. The same word that's translated tempt is translated assay. A-S-S-A-Y in the King James, which we would translate attempt. Attempt. I won't take time to go through all of them, but for instance, like Hebrews 11, it said, by faith the people passed through the Red Sea like on dry land. The Egyptians assayed to do it and were drowned. That means they attempted to do it. They tried to do it. So when you hear the word try, it doesn't just only mean test. It means they attempted it. So when the devil is tempting you, he's attempting. Can you see this? He's attempting or he's trying to deceive you. He's trying to trick you. But it's up to us whether he's successful or not. Attempting. He attempted to get Eve to doubt God. And she let him convince her. He attempted to get her to disobey. And Adam followed. And she listened to him. But did she have to listen to him? Now, you know, in a little bit of their defense, they didn't know all we know. (laughs) They didn't see what would happen and all the mess it caused and all the death. They They didn't even know what death was. But it doesn't justify you doubting God. There is no excuse. Thank God there's forgiveness, but there's no excuse or justifiable reason for doubting God or disobeying God. Nobody ever had to or has to. Anytime we have, it was a failure, something to repent over. But the enemy will come. He has come and he will come. Not in an obvious fashion, but with subtle thoughts and feelings tempting you to doubt. Boy, you you see this at most universities. You know, Christian parents, it's a bit of a conundrum. It really is because 
Christian parents endeavor to put faith and still faith in their sons and daughters all their life and save money big time and send them to universities where every other class almost, they're trying to convince them not to believe in God, not to believe in a creator, not to believe in redemption, not to believe in a virgin birth, not to believe in miracles. This is the work of the enemy, always trying to separate you from your faith, to convince you to doubt and fear and on the heels of that get you to disobey because if he can get you to yield to that then he will have access to steal kill and destroy and sadly it's happening all over the place and people not even aware that there is a devil are blaming the destruction on God himself don't know why God put this in my life no that's not the issue the issue is why didn't you listen to God All of us have missed it in these areas. But let's grow up. Let's develop. Let's be alert. Let's be vigilant and on the watch, right? Anything that's trying to separate us from our faith. Anything that's trying to get us to disobey what God clearly said. In uh, Luke 8 is the account of the um, what we call the parable of the sower and there were four types of soil representing four types of human heart and one of them was the uh, the rocky ground and uh, Luke 8.13 says they on the rock are they when they hear they receive the word with joy and these have no root which for a while believe, and then what happens? In the time of temptation, fall away. What does that mean, fall away? They, they stop believing. They allow temptation, challenges, issues to cause them to turn loose of their belief. They believe for a short duration. And because of the scripture, one part of this passage said they lacked moisture. Well, we know from 1 Corinthians 3 that teaching is watering the word. And another one said they lacked root. They didn't have roots. It was a shallow, dry reception. They heard something in the comfort of church And they jumped on it and shouted and said, that's good. But it was shallow and they didn't water it any further after that. And when some temptation came to question that, they faded and wilted and turned loose of their belief. Fell away. Well, look in Luke 22, I believe it is. And this is one of the... uh, One of the clearest places in the scriptures of how this works. In a time of temptation, it said, they fell away. Tempted to what? One of the biggest things the enemy is going to tempt you to do is to fear and doubt. 
That's one of the main things. Because if he can get a foothold there, he can convince you to disobey. He can convince you to do all kind of things based on that loss of faith and that fear. But if he can't separate you from your faith, then he can't do much else with you either. Because that's your foundation. That's your rock. And, and there will come temptation to doubt, to question, just like what the enemy did with Eve. But if you keep watering that word and keep hearing the same thing, what's going to happen? Your roots are going to go down deeper. Come on, can you see that? And you're going to get more and more stable and more solid. So no matter how much temptation and pressure comes, you don't quit. You don't give up. You don't turn loose your belief. In Luke 22, verse 31, the Lord said to Simon, this is right before he went to the cross. This is actually the night that uh, the soldiers came and, and took Jesus away to that mock trial. The Lord said to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. What does that mean? He's given Peter a heads up. He said the... Uh, the enemy's on your case. And he's out to sift you. Now what does that mean? What is a sift? What does a sift do? It separates. Right? It separates one thing from another. It holds one thing and lets the other thing go out. Well, what is the enemy trying to separate from Peter? Read the very next verse. You don't have to ask. But I have prayed for you that your what? Faith. Faith. What's the enemy always after? Our faith. And the word that our faith is based on. Remember we talked about the parable of the sower. Well, the wayside ground, it said... uh, the sower sowed the word and immediately the enemy came to steal the word that was sown in their heart. Why? Because he's got to get you to quit believing or he can't do what he wants to do in your life. He's got to separate you from your faith or else he cannot, you're not giving him place if he can't do that. I've prayed for you, the Lord said, that your faith fail not And we sure hope it works. We'll see. Now, when? Don't you like that? That's a a faith prayer. When, not if, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. He hadn't even messed up yet, and the Lord's already talking about him being strong enough to help other people. This is faith. Isn't it? But we see immediately what happened? Keep, keep reading. And he, Peter, said, Lord, I'm ready. <laughs> was he ready? He wasn't as ready as he thought he was. And boy, that's just about everybody you want to talk about. 
I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Me and you, Lord. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster, the cock shall not crow this day before you shall three times deny that you know me. Keep going. We'll skip down to verse 39. If you read the other accounts, you know Peter said, no way, adamantly denied, and all the other guys joined in and said, no, no, that'll never happen, Lord. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. Keep reading the next couple of verses. When he was at the place, he said to them, what? Pray that you, what? Enter not into temptation. Why would he say that? Because the enemy is there to tempt them. To tempt them to what? To fear, doubt, turn loose of their faith, disobey. The enemy's there to separate them from their faith and from their commitment to him. And it's going, the pressure's going to be greater than they realize. It's all fine and dandy when you're hanging out in the garden together. But this is about to change radically. And they don't realize that. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Now this gives you another picture. The devil can't push you through the door. He cannot make you, force you to doubt, to fear, to disobey. He can't. He can't pull you through the door. He can't push you through the door. What can he do? Talk about the door. Look at the door. Look over here on the other side. Look at the tree. Look how good it looks. You won't die. Come on. Come on. Come on through the door. Come on. He can't push you through the door. He can't pull you through the door. He's got to get you to come through the door by yourself. On your own volition. He's got to get you to choose. You know what the Lord said? Pray so you don't so that you don't enter into what the enemy's pulling on you to do. Verse 41. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. He said, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There appeared an angel to him from heaven, strengthening him. Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What is he resisting? Hebrews says he's resisting sin. What's, what's this pull on? Is he being pulled? To do what? Not my will, but your will be done. The enemy's trying to tempt him not to go through with this. He rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. So did they do what he told them to do? Did they take his warning seriously? No. We've been there. He said, why are you asleep? 
right, get up and pray, lest you what? Lest you enter in to tempta- temptation to what? To doubt, to fear, to unhook, to disobey. In uh, verse 54, skip down there. They came and they, they took Jesus. They led him and brought him to the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. A certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with them. And he what? He did what? He entered into the temptation. What do we mean? He yielded to the pressure to do what? To, now, one thing we, we need to, to see, they were shocked that he let them take him. They were bewildered because they had seen him in tight situations before. And they seen him just walk through the crowds and, and they saw him say words that just shut everybody up and and... They did not expect this. And so when he let them take him and he seems powerless in their hands, the enemy comes like a rush, like a a roaring lion with fear. Come on, can you see this? Fear and questioning. Why? Why is he doing this? Why? Why doesn't he stand up? Why doesn't he speak? Why? Why? And then she says, He's one of them too. He's one of them too. And he is tempted. Come on, can you see this? To doubt, to question what they've been involved with in the last three and a half years. Is he really the Son of God? Why can they just take him away that way? Am I? They're going, it looks like they're going to kill him. They'll kill you too. The devil said, they'll kill you too. They'll kill you too. They'll kill you too. And he says, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Should we come down hard on Peter and judge Peter? No. Have you done a similar thing in your life? Yeah, you have. Can you see how this works? See, the Lord gave Peter a heads up. Even, you know, I guess hours before this happened, he said, uh, the devil is working on separating you from your faith. He He's working on something to cause you to doubt and fear, disobey. And uh, could Peter have done more to not give in? Yeah. For one thing, he could have stayed away and prayed like the Lord told him to. What if he had stayed awake those few hours and prayed? Who knows what he might have got? Right? What the Lord might have showed him that would give him some understanding about what was going on. Maybe bring to his remembrance prophecies about what the Lord told him. The Lord told him what's going to happen. Right? He told him he was going to be offered up to the Gentiles and, and, and they were going to kill him and in three days he's going to rise. He'd already told him all this. But in the heat 
of the moment and in the pressure, these feelings of fear just rushed over him. And he yielded to the temptation. He yielded to the fear. He yielded to the doubt and questioning and lied and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know who that is. This is a clear example of how the enemy works. Keep reading. After a little while, another saw him and said, you, you're one of them. How many understand that's not a bad thing to be called one of them? <laughs> when it's one of them Christians. You're one of them. We've had, Phyllis and I have had people call us that. You're one of them, them tongue talkers. Yep. Chief leaders in the bunch. Tongue talkers. You're one of, you're one of them. Healing, believing, miracle believing. That's it. I'm one of them. Oh, come on. Are you one of them? I'm one of, I mean one of them abundance believing. Oh, yeah. Prosperity believing. Confession making. Yeah, declaration making. Yeah, I'm one of them. But uh, he's out there feeling very alone. And they said, you're one of them. And he said, man, I am not. I am not. Mm. (laughs) About the space of another hour, another confidently affirmed and said, of a truth, this fella was with him. He's a Galilean. I heard him talk. I heard his accent. You are one of them. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed. My, my. Verse 60, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Don't you know he felt bad. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the cock crow, you'll deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly because he had been duped by the devil. He had been tricked. He allowed the enemy to cause him to turn loose of his confidence and his faith. He embraced fear. He gave place to fear. He gave place to lying, telling lies about knowing the Lord and lost a battle. Lost a significant battle that could have been won. But the good news is, not too many days after this, he's talking to the risen Savior who says, Peter, you love me, boy. (laughs) He said, I do. He said, feed my lambs. Asked him again, feed my sheep. And then on the day of Pentecost, we see him standing boldly Preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus and thousands getting saved. Hallelujah. Because if you let the enemy trick you and you fall and you fail, it's bad. You didn't have to. But it's not the end. I said it's not the end. Thank God for forgiveness, for cleansing, for washing, for restoration. Hallelujah. Thank God for the righteousness of God in Christ that's imputed to you when you receive it that has nothing to do with how well you have or have not performed. Thank God for the mercy and grace and goodness 
of the Lord our God. Hallelujah. There's so much more to talk about, but stand on your feet. That's good enough for right now. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.